Keith, what's going on, man? Empathy paradox. Now, it's a term mm. I've recently created did you make this? for myself. Okay. I did. In that it's the idea that empathy can go so far as that we see ourselves as the one that's struggling when we're trying to empathize with oh, someone else. And thus we snap. end up feeling the pain of them. And then we go into the protective mode of not helping them anymore, but protecting ourselves. And in turn, trying to find a way out of that pain and totally disregard the, the circumstance for the other Yeah, person. yeah, because, because, because now it's real for us. So we got to solve our problem. Empathy is so important, even to compassion in uh -huh. many instances, but we have to be careful. Just be careful. Be careful. With your empathy. Be careful. Because that paradox is real. And no Protect way. your empathy. Protect it. And welcome back to the Morikama Podcast. My name is Keith, and I'm here to promote Shweaty Balls. And if you only know Saturday Night Live, you would get that reference, but I'm with my co-host Rodney. Hi, I'm going to try and do my best in PR voice, and my name is Rodney, and I'm the co-host of the More in Common podcast, co-founder of More in Common Enterprises, and we like to talk about compassion. And in this episode, you're going to hear some things about compassion. I'm going to, I'm going to sum up a couple of them for you. Compassion is sharing a part of yourself with someone in a way that makes them better or want to be better. I'm just going to leave it at that and That's throw good. it back over Lincoln Hope to Keith Sweaty Balls. <laughs> the fun thing about Lincoln Hope, and this is the thing I've loved about this journey with More in Common, is getting to meet people in different ways to access the, the progression of life. And we talk a lot about improv and improv's capability of helping us improve ourselves and in so many ways not just to be an actor or not just to be better at improv which i i'm really excited to bring this conversation but if someone really wanted a reason to listen to it what would that reason be yeah a lot of good reasons uh i i think at the at the heart of this and we talk a lot about improv and how it it really is a skill for life that some people are using and everybody really can be using but underneath that is 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 learning to or relearning to play and to be in touch with who we are and to be in every moment and to be in this moment not fretting about the last moment or concerned about the next moment but being in this moment and a really tangible tool that you can even do with yourself you don't have to have a troop you don't have to have a friend you can improv by yourself and that would be yeah get in listen yeah learn that learn that in this conversation and also as we like to remind you you can find us at moreincommonent.com all things and if you like this mission you want to promote compassion you think the world could be a better place like we know it could be because of compassion share us like us leave us a comment or a review and uh, build us up in that algorithm so more people can hear us um and on our website you can learn more about our consulting which 
Rodney likes to tell you about. Yep. Diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI. It's a big conversation. Keith and I very much address inclusion, which which we really think spills over and, and builds into diversity and, and equity conversations. It gives you a framework. We have a four-step more process that we teach you how to implement, which actually helps you get to compassion. And that builds a foundation that is unshakable. It is one that, that lends itself towards uh, an inclusive environment. If you're interested, if you have a great environment that you want to be better, if you have a terrible environment that you want to be better, hit us up. Let us know. All right. Let's uh, enjoy this conversation with Lincoln Hope. Every moment that we exist and act of our own free will, every choice we make, we are literally improvising as we go. Now, since I'm an actor, I've trained very hard and for many, many, many years, both as an actor and as an improviser. So improvisation has another connotation. And when I tell actors that they should learn improvisation, they're thinking, okay, yeah, you want me to get up on stage and you want me to make up funny scenes, basically like whose line is it anyway, which is definitely a very small part of improv. But again, it, it's a small, specific slice of improv. Really, when we're talking about improv, we're talking about being in the moment. We're talking, and, and this is what improv training can do for you. It can help you to be in the moment. It can help you to play. Today, we are with Lincoln Hope. Crazy fact, he is actually related to Abraham Lincoln and was named after him. I didn't know that until right now. Lincoln is a film actor in Los Angeles and is the lead in a feature called Witnesses that hit theaters on June 4th. It was top 10 for the box office sales and made, made it up to six. It was a number one faith-based film. Uh, Lincoln is also a produced feature screenwriter and multi-award winner audiobook narrator and voice actor. And if not enough, is an acting and improvisation teacher at Playhouse West and Meisner School in North Hollywood. He is passionate about improvisation. He believes strongly that improv is not just for improv shows and auditions, but is healthy for the brain as it skyrockets skills of creativity, spontaneity, and confidence. He has a complete video on demand course called Improv Wizards. He loves to hike play stringed instruments such as guitar, mandolin, bass, dulcimer, the booziki, and he loves board games and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, and he has five kids. Lincoln, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Excited to be here with you guys. This has been fun already. We just started. What the yeah, heck? We just actually <laughs> haven't happening? even started yet. Right? <laughs> what up, man? Glad, you, glad we uh, get this together. Yeah. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah, super excited. So we always like to tee it up. We ask the question at the beginning, what's your favorite tip to navigating difficult conversations? And since we're all about compassionate conversation, and you said taking a breath, staying centered, and speak your truth respectfully, all of those things, even taking a breath can be difficult when you're fired up or somebody, somebody just called your mom a name. How do you access that in a moment when you need to? 
I think it's a constant reminder. And, and for sure, I don't always do it in the moment. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I should have done that. I should have taken that breath. But so I think it's over time we learn, we make mistakes, and we learn and we remind ourselves each time to do a little bit better. But there's so many things in my life that I just cruise through. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes it's like, ah, I need to stop. I need to listen. I need to listen to myself. I need to listen to, you know, my intuition or, you know, from above, whatever you want to call it. And so I think, I think it's, it's that reminding yourself and that life experience too reminds us of what's important. And in the moment, we don't always do what we've planned to do, but afterwards we remember uh, to do a little bit better. So I, I have had enough experiences where I'm getting to the point where I can remember better now that it's time to pause and take that breath. We don't always do what we plan to do. We don't. We don't. That I th- is a place where I think there's, at least for me, for me, that's where the lack of self-compassion creeps in. That's where I start to admonish myself or jump on myself for not being who I wanted to be or who I see myself as, do you, how do you take a beat there? How do you give yourself or do you give yourself grace? Like what, how do you, how do you manage that? I heard an amazing quote this morning and it was, it struck me as completely new, even though I had read the book before. Someone really, really great manager in Los Angeles named Diversa Manis said she was quoting uh, The Art of War, I believe. and. I want to see exactly. I wrote it down. I was listening, and she said, her paraphrase was, use all available weapons to guard your spirit. So, again, I'm trusting this is secondhand. So, it may be from a different book. She may have mixed it up, but whoever it's from, I thought that was beautiful to use all those weapons at hand to protect your spirit. Because at the end of the day, sometimes we don't leave those resources in place to preserve what's most important and to preserve maybe our North Star or to preserve those reserves that we need to be able to do what we need to do. And that just that just struck me today. And and Rodney, when you said that, that's what that's what popped up for me was we always need to leave something in the tank to some gas in the tank, however you want to call it, to preserve our spirit because that's what gets us through everything and that is just so important and i don't know about you guys but for me a lot of the time i'm i often i run too empty like oh i've got to go do this i've got to meet with this person i've got to go do this and it's just jumping from one thing to the other and i forget and, and it's those times where i can say hang on let's Let's make sure I keep something for myself in the tank. And I'll be totally honest, sometimes it's my wife who's reminding me, hey, don't give it all away yet. You know, keep something there so that you can so that you can make it through the day emotionally and spiritually, which I think is is really a great lesson. The frame, that's a beautiful quote. Whoever we can attribute it to, I'm sure if we type it all into the internet, we'll be able to attribute it to something. So we'll be sure to do that before before it releases. But the idea that it is a reminder, 
right? Because we do fail. And sometimes we override ourselves. I do this with my wife, where for whatever reason, I've let my ego say, no, I'm not going to act the way I want to act because I'm going to be spiteful because you're not acting the way I want you to act, right? Or towards me, act towards me. So then it's instead of, but when you have that constant reminder, and I catch myself in these moments going, yeah, but no, this is where you want to be. And having that fight with myself um, because of those constant reminders and framing it as such that you just, just remind yourself like all the time that it's there and it's a tool and it's something that you should use and you may choose not to use it or you may fail to use it and have to reconcile it later. But the more you practice, the more you remind, the better you get over time. So I love that you frame how you frame that as a reminder. So true. And some people forget too that that even if you've got a goal, every failure to meet up to your goal is also a reminder. Yeah. The the failure itself is helping propel you forward. So well, that's I appreciate you digging deeper into that. I mean, you got deep fast. Your tree was <laughs> oak because you go deep. Like you weren't oh, kidding. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're you're rude. Like normally we have to tease all of that out in like five to ten minutes. Nope, time to move on. Let's talk about improv. In your bio, you talk about the importance of improv, not just for actors, but for everybody. And you give some bullet points as to its importance, but I'd love to dig deeper on the importance that you see improv providing to the existence of others who may not be acting or aspiring to act, but simply just doing improv for, for the hell of it or for other purposes. Absolutely. Yes. Improv to me is just, it's such a part of daily life. I mean, every moment that we exist and act of our own free will every choice we make, we are literally improvising as we go. Now, since I'm an actor, I've trained very hard and for many, many, many years, both as an actor and as an improviser. So improvisation has another connotation. And when I tell actors that they should learn improvisation, they're thinking, okay, yeah, you want me to get up on stage and you want me to make up funny scenes, basically like whose line is it anyway, which is definitely a very small part of improv. But again, it, it's a small, specific slice of improv. Really, when we're talking about improv, we're talking about being in the moment. We're talking, and, and this is what improv training can do for you. It can help you to be in the moment. It can help you to play. It helps you, and I think play is so important for mental health, for physical health, when even when we're talking about that playing with improv, you are using your creativity. You're you're firing neurons that may have never fired together. You're using your brain in new and different ways by improvising. And yes, when we teach improv, we teach it through specific games that may be kind of in that specific slice of of getting up and you know throwing words back and forth or building a scene together. But, and as we talked a little bit too, there is a real relational component. You can improve relationships. You can improve communication with improvisation. You can improve your confidence with improvisation. 
it's such an all-encompassing skill. And I think a lot of times people look at it, oh, yes, we're, we're talking about getting up on the stage and making funnies, which is understandable, but it's just so, it's so all-encompassing. Uh, I was not an actor until I started, I started doing improv and I, I got into an improv troupe and I loved it so much that I was like, I want to, I want to learn how to be a better actor so that I can be a better improviser. And that's why I started taking acting classes and started getting film jobs eventually. So that that was originally how I approached acting was this very spontaneous, fluid, and and I guess the the overall word that comes to mind is freedom. I think improvisation has a lot to do with freedom, but ironically at the same time has a lot to do with structure. Sometimes the structure of improvisation or giving yourself a game to play can really rein in your creativity and let your let your creative mind go crazy because you're not doing this like what I could say anything I want right now there's too many choices you're like no we've got one word we're working with now I have 75 things that are coming to mind or 10 or whatever it is that form gives you places to play from it gives you that specificity of that form allows you to let your creativity free. And I guess the one thing that I would say in addition to that is something very popular right now that encompasses much of that, if not all of it, is this idea of yes and. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that. And yes and is a phrase that was coined in improvisation, which hinges on this principle of agreement. When you're trying to build a scene together in improv, you want to agree on facts and build on them instead of throwing out something and then the other person says, no, that's not true. You know, that's more like a no instead. But when you're yes anding, let's say we're creating a scene, it's like, hey, um, I saw you got a new red Porsche. That's like the information I've put. And the other person can say, I didn't get a new car. And then they're basically swatting that away. But if you start with, oh, I saw you got a new Porsche, and you, yes, you agree with it and add something specific. You're like, yeah, and I stole it from a bookie. So I've hidden it in your garage. So don't tell anyone. Where did that come from? Uh, it came from the specific form and structure of one person saying, I saw you got a new red Porsche. And the other person's mind goes crazy. And instead of thinking, how do I want to get rid of that? They're like, how can I build on red Porsche? Well, for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was I stole it <laughs> stole from it. a bad What's guy. What's going on in your life right know. now, Lincoln? <laughs> I'm Robin Hood, I think. I think that's what it is. I'm going to use that Porsche to help the poor. You know, it, improv also tells us a lot about what's going on in our lives at any given moment. If we're being free and fluid with it. Yeah, so I've said too much. You may have to <laughs> yeah, clearly. Cut we're going to have to cut this it. episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... um. Man, it's, uh, there's a lot there. I think the one of the first things you said was the uh, the idea of being present and presence. And I didn't realize that's like it turns out that's one of the reasons that's why I love improv so much and things that put me in an active improv state, Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. It's why I love them so much. But I hadn't thought about it until I don't know it was a couple of weeks ago, Keith. I sent you that video of. <laughs> whose line is it anyway, Wayne Brady and Mark Rebier 
improving music together on the interwebs and they stopped to talk and Wayne Brady's like, yeah, it's about presence. It's about being in the moment. You can't, if you're gonna, if I'm going to be with you in a scene to make, or in a, in whatever, to make whatever, I've got to be here. I can't be thinking about the soup that I'm going to make later or else this isn't going to work. And it, and it's almost, almost a hack to getting into presence for for people that, and I think this is why I liked it because I had a really strong monkey mind pre doing a lot of improv and to your point of structure, like having a space to explore that and to see, then I could see it because it was coming out of my mouth. And when it didn't necessarily match with what was happening in the scene, it's like, well, okay, like now I can kind of see my brain out loud and it started to give me my own, my own uh, reference for structure. But I, I'm loving, yeah. I love this yeah, idea of, and then the play part is important too, for sure. There is, Can I just uh, throw two more things oh, on yeah, top of that please. real quick? Because what you said yeah. about presence is so true. And part of presence, which is, some, there's something that underlies all of what we've just talked about with improv, and that's listening. And it applies to the conversations that we were talking to. If you're not listening, we used to say listening like a ninja or listening like a wizard. If you're not like mega listening, you're going to miss so much. You're not going to be in a space where you can grab onto that idea of the red Porsche or whatever it is. If you missed it entirely, you can't add to that. You can't build on. But if you're listening and if you're really giving your presence to listening, half of the work is so much easier and already done for you. And the other thing that I wanted to say too, is that People may be listening that say, oh, yeah, I could never do improv, or I'm not a very present person. I'm not a very confident person. I'm not a very good listener. That is one of the absolute wonderful things about improvisation is, just like you said, Rodney, it's a form that teaches you, that can literally, it gives you a form in which, a structure in which to learn all those incredibly valuable skills. And that's why um, my business partner, I, Eric Artel, long before the pandemic, came out with an online course where you could literally learn improvisation. It's a video on-demand course with play-along videos. But we wanted to make this, again, before the pandemic, before they were doing, everyone's doing Zoom classes, we wanted to, we, we are so passionate about it, we wanted to make it available to everyone in every country. Because we do believe that it can Improv can literally improve people's lives on every level, you know, behind the scenes in your thinking and all that. So that second point being it can be learned even if you're a very shy person or, you know, you you don't feel very creative. Improv is one of the absolute funnest and best ways to dive into learning. So I absolutely highly recommend that. What's fascinating about improv is it's an opportunity to let go of control because none of us have control, but we perceive like we do. We think about the social constructs that we have. They're all solid entities. They're all human created, right? The only thing solid is my desk and I can still burn it down, right? So, um, you know, these- Technically, it's not really solid, but- (laughs) (laughs) Our perceptions of 
control that lead to anxiety stresses into, like I'm going through right now because I'm buying and selling a house and all of these things like everything that you're saying about improv which makes me want to do it because it accesses just a, a present state of flow in a uncontrolled controlled way and I I think it's it's just it's a practice of of lack of control which then leads me to something, a question specifically about doing online improv courses. And I'm curious to get your take as people continue to work from home, as people continue to look to build connections remotely where we can't make eye contact, we can't exchange handshakes, we can't read each other's full body language, we, we miss a lot of those things which improv in a way relies heavily on because you're really improvising that entire human interaction. How have you seen the online differ from in-person and even potentially strengthen people's access to online connection when we can't have it because of the pandemic? That is a great, great question. People told us at the beginning that it couldn't be done. Like, there's no way you could teach improv online. And one of my I, favorite statements, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the problem with that statement that I, the reason why I already knew that wasn't true was because I had practiced improvisation for hours upon hours upon hours by myself. And I had made myself so much better and so much more confident so that when I got up on stage with people and in front of an audience, I was light years ahead of where I was the previous week when I was more nervous, just because I had spent so many hours. And here's what I did. I, I just went to, uh, I went to, I, I was at college, in college at the time, I went to Brigham Young University and there was an auditorium in which we performed. And it was also a lecture hall, it was 300 seat theater. And I would go in and I, I was nervous. I was always, I was very nervous to get up in front of people without a script. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to go into this theater where we perform and kind of make it mine. And I would get up on stage and I literally, you know, this is when, shoot, this was in the mid nineties when I had just gotten my first, you know, phone and I would set a timer on my phone for I can't remember, it was 20 or 30 minutes. And it was like, I am going to improvise a play by myself for until the timer goes off. And just that was the only structure. That was the only form is that I had to keep talking and doing stuff until that hour ran out. And I cannot tell you how, how much amazing practice it was and how much it did for me. So I think the the analogy that we can draw, let's say you want to be a professional soccer player, right? There is no substitute for getting out on the field and playing in a game. Like You have to do that if you want to become a professional soccer player. But every professional soccer player also goes to the gym. They lift weights, they isolate skills. They'll go out against a brick wall or they'll go out with a like a rebounder. And they'll just practice 500 times kicking that ball by themselves, kicking, 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 working on that precision. Then they may do, do sit-ups to work on their core. Then they may 
dribble all, with cones all around. So I think the analogy that I'm making is that there are so many more of those kind of exercises for improv than people ever imagine that you can isolate and you can get so good at so that when you then come together with a group, they're already worked. You're already better. And then you have you your cognitive load is lightened. You're not thinking about the dribbling because you've practiced that by yourself so much. Instead, instead of dribbling, you're kind of dribbling intuitively in the scene and you're listening like that wizard to what the other guy is saying or the other girl is saying in the scene. And you don't have to think about the dribbling because you've just worked that. And that's what our our course does. It lets you work on those skills. We've had a lot of people who were so terrified and would not get up in front of people in a class, but wanted to learn improv or their agent told them they had to learn improv. So they took our course. And by the time they were done with the course, they were like, I can do this. I can get up in front of a group now and do it. And it's not like it didn't doesn't wipe away your fear entirely. It doesn't wipe away that anxiety entirely because that, that's a healthy part of the process. But it lets you concentrate fully on the other person and the other person's offers. Instead of thinking, instead of looking at yourself, you kind of feel like you're taken care of and you can focus on the other person. So our course was never meant to completely eradicate the need to get up with other people. But what it really does well is it lets you practice the skills so that you can hop up with those other people. And many of those things are like second nature. And there's a lot of other skills, like delivering monologues. There's a lot of things that come up in shows, space work or space object work, where you know, you're manipulating space in a scene. None of that requires other people. And so our course allows you to work on those things so that you're not self-conscious of it or you, you become very, very good at it by yourself or with your friend. We've got people who take it with their, their family, their siblings, or their friends. So they're, they're also you know, working on those things together. But yeah, it, it was never meant to completely get rid of that need. But we've seen, I personally feel like in a lot of ways, it's a better way of teaching improv than getting someone who's terrified and saying, get up on stage in front of these 20 people and do something. And I'll explain if it was good or bad afterwards. For some people, that is not the place for probably most people. That is not the most strategic place to start. And that's, that's where we've had amazing success. M more people fear public speaking than they do dying, right? So when you force the public speaking aspect, you shut off all ability to learn any other functional things that, yeah, that, that sentiment of confidence and skills and the way you framed it, right? It's you build a muscle memory in a way, even if it's not good, you're not thinking about it as much because you know how to hold a bat or put it on your shoe. You're not thinking about, am I holding the bat right? And then standing up and trying to hit a pitch, right? Just because there's, there's different skills needed. There's different levels of skills to continue the soccer analogy on. And I love what you said. It lets you focus on the other person, like doing the self-work. 
so the, <laughs> seeing all these parallels between improv and life and like how life is improved by improv, which is what you said, playing soccer, the people that I play with that play that played at a high level or just no soccer, they're fr- Wait, Rodney, phrase you they play often, soccer? I love it. Uh, I kick a ball uh, with people who play soccer. <laughs> and he runs um, around on a field. Me too. I no, I, I enjoy it. I play. Uh, my wife played. My wife played in college. She played high level, and so she. So when we're playing together, one, the thing she says most frequently to me and to other people is, "What you see or what do you see?" And for me, when I started playing, I didn't see anything because I was looking at the ball. You're like a dad at the ball. <laughs> so I was completely focused on me and my feet, and I couldn't see the open space, or I couldn't see the open person, or the person running at me to take the ball. And so I think you know, continue on, like you get that self time, you get the dribbling practice, you get that, then you can look up and it's like, Oh, look, there's a whole game. There's a whole field in front. That's of exactly right. Um, our course helps you work on those and isolate those basic skills so that you're not staring down at the ball so that you're, you're intuitively handling the ball and you can exactly look up and see other people. And you see all those other options that you can't see if you're just looking down at the ball. That's that's great. That's a great part of the analogy, Rodney. Thank you. I was thinking about this in terms of what we teach and our whole methodology is about how we can give easily compassion to others, like just access it. How do we access it? How do we function it? As as simple as it sometimes seems to just say, be compassionate. It's super hard in many situations. And a lot of times to truly access it or the conversations around empathy, to truly access that for another person, you have to be able to reflect internally and you have to be able to see yourself for who you are in order to effectively see others for who they are. Because if you're all bogged down with baggage, you're going to project all that baggage onto somebody else. And then it's just going to be a contentious circumstance more often than not. Now, not everybody has time for therapy. Not everybody has time to, to do all that or the wherewithal. And I think what's interesting about improv is it is a forced effort in a playful way to do self-reflective work. Whether that's what people get out of it, uh, I don't know, right? But like to do it, to do self-reflection in a playful way, I think that's such a cool opportunity for a lot of people. All right, we're going to pause it there. We're going we're gonna to stop right there, give you a little break, let all that ruminate and simmer in your mind. While we have this break, this episode, this conversation has really brought to mind our conversation with Graham Bodie. It's episode 77 in the catalog. You might want to go take a listen in between. Uh, Graham is a professor of listening, basically. He studies it. He, he is a really sharp dude. So go check him out. All right. We'll see you in a couple of days.